Uh, you know, I had a, a college uh, a college pastor. He was my pastor when I, I was uh, in in college. And um, one of the things he, he said, he introduced himself one time, and it, it really stuck with me. He said, um, um, he said, I, I want you to know that I'm, I'm like you. I am just a pilgrim um, passing through this life on my way to the promised land. It was a way of saying that he, you know, like all of us, um, was, was basically on a journey and um, fallen, broken, but, but headed to the right place. And uh, that stuck with me because it really creates a, a, created for me a, a picture of really what we're doing, um, that we're on a, on a journey and we're on a journey together. And I, I Dan Deckard, I'm, I'm, I'm pilgriming with you, right? Um, and that's a good word, pilgrim, uh, because we, t- we tend to think, either subconsciously or consciously sometimes, we tend to think that, that um, this life that we have is a destination point. You know, like, like this is where we're supposed to arrive. And, um, and, and most of what people do in life is an attempt to arrive um, somehow, some way, family, marriage, whatever, career. Um, but, it's, but it's not a destination point. Uh, we really are pilgrims, and, and um, I love the way that King David describes life because he describes life in Psalm 23 as a, as a valley of the shadow of death. Uh, I don't think when he wrote that that he was saying that, that um, the valley of the shadow of death is just like a season, like, like in your 30s or 40s. Um, I think he's talking about the whole of life because the whole of life, life's entire journey uh, is in the shadows of brokenness and ultimately this, this, the finality of death itself. And yet we have this shepherd who is leading us, you know, to green pastures and beside still waters and on paths of righteousness. And he's got his um, staff and he's with us all the way through this valley of the shadow of death. But, but it's through this world, not to this world. And, uh, and, and we're headed someplace um, Amazing, and, and we have to think of ourselves as pilgrims on a journey. Um, this life is not a destination point. And uh, each of the figures that we have looked at in Hebrews 11, and if you're new or visiting, um, we're looking at the faith of, of the different um, Old Testament characters that are listed in the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 11. We've looked at Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, and we're coming now to a, to a a bit of a digression in the, the chapter where he, the writer reflects on the nature of that pilgrimage um, in a way that I think is, is really helpful for us in terms of clarifying what it is to walk by faith. But before I get to that text, I want to enter into it from what might seem like a strange place. Uh, I want to enter into the, the text today, which is Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16, by way of Psalm 37, 1. Now, you don't have to turn there. I'll have it behind me. It's, the single verse conveys a rather brilliant exhortation to help us um, to avoid two of the, some of the biggest pitfalls of, of the Christian life uh, as we make our way through, through life, as we pil- make our pilgrimage, as we, as we make the journey. And the verse goes like this, and it's one that I've had to commit to memory because um, because it's helpful to keep me in the center. Um, he writes this. He says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. And the second part deals with the second danger. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Those two things, um, 
fretting over evil, evildoers, and envy. Two ways of relating to the world. Two wrong ways of relating to the world. The one way, of course, is to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and to see evil abound and to see violence and to become exceedingly anxious or to fret or to become overly excessively fearful about things, which is not how the Lord wants us to live or walk through the valley. He wants us to to live knowing that he's with us and that he is reigning over us. And so he says, fret not yourself because of of uh, evildoers. And, and in our particular time frame, when everything seems to be somewhat um, corroding around us, um, I know that there's a lot of fearful, anxious hearts out there as it relates to politics, as it relates to the moral um, direction of our, our culture. And I think this first part, this left part, would say, listen, you don't have to be excessively anxious about it. There's, there's, you don't need to fret about it. That's not the way to walk through a world where evil is um, abounding. But then there's the, the other side. And by the way, it's, it's hard not to do that sometimes. I, I, I'd be, I'll raise my hand and say there were times when I thought the world was going to end at the end of an election. Honestly, 1992, I remember when I was stand, where I was standing, what I was doing. I heard it on the radio. The election was called, and I went, Phew. This country's going to hell. <laughs> and it didn't. You know, here we are, however many years later. I didn't need a fret over it. But on the, on the flip side, you know, um, our world has a lot of things that, 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 that feel good. And as we make our way through the valley of the shadow of death, um, there, there will be people around us who have more than we have, that are smarter than we are, have better marriages, or so it may seem, than we do, have better retirement benefits and plans, who may have um, the financial wherewithal not to worry about the end of life kinds of things. And it's really easy to, when you are in a place of less, and sometimes it's not even a, just a, a, the amount of what you have, it's just being alongside somebody who's achieved more than you. Um, you feel or harbor that sense of, hidden sense of envy. Um, and that envy is, right, it's a sense of discontentment, um, a sense of uh, a spiteful longing for what somebody else has or has achieved. And, and again, that's something that I think many of us at some level, if we're really honest, struggle with when it comes to height and weight and all that stuff. And, uh, and it, what makes it especially hard is when the people who are prospering and achieving are the ones who are unethical or immoral. And that's why this person, uh, the psalmist says, um, be not envious of, of those who prosper in doing wrong. So here you have like two um, spiritual um, pitfalls, fretting over evil or envy. Now, and how do we walk through life not falling into those two ruts. And I want to uh, submit to you that the verses we're going to look at this morning provide an answer for us. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, 13 through 16. This is what they read. These all died in faith. Now, I said this is a digression, and I believe this is a reflection on the life of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Sarah, who all died not receiving the promised land. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. 
If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You can sense the idea of pilgrimage and journey through this. I mean, you talk about a homeland, a better country than they're currently experiencing, or a city that's been prepared for them by God. Now, those, those three things, a, a, a better country, a homeland, a city, really, I think, act, uh, in essence, are the same thing. Um, and we talked a little bit about it last week, but let me just in- summarize what that better country is. It, basically, it's, it's Eden restored. Um, and the component parts of that are, is God direct, directly dwelling amongst a redeemed, forgiven, resurrected people in a restored creation. That's, that's the better country. God, people, country, or place, or earth. And that reality that's, that's still future um, is something that has been um, paid for and offered exclusively to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He laid the cornerstone and the foundation for a whole new world. And in him, in him alone, um, will we uh, um, ob- obtain that inheritance. Uh, that's, 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 that's the gospel. And the whole thrust of, of the whole book of Hebrews, now listen to this. Because that's true, because the homeland and the better country and the city is offered to us exclusively in Christ on, based on the work of Christ, um, you cannot... This is the exhortation of the book. Do not neglect, do not drift, do not reject, do not turn away from Christ. Because if you do, the sense of the warnings of the book is that you forfeit this country. That's how, it's, how important it is to, to lay hold of the hope that we have in Christ. That's like the central thrust of the whole book is that we get there. And each of these uh, characters are, are pilgrims who lived their leg of the journey well, now in these verses, there are, are certain, if you will, lessons of what it means to walk by faith in the valley of the shadow of death as we make our way to that um, better country. And I believe we can learn from them. One of those uh, lessons that we learn is walking by faith means exercising a patient belief in God's promises. Um, that, is, that is to wait. That is not going to come right away. It's not going to come when you push a button. It's not going to come because you demand it. It's that you have to wait for it, something we don't like to do. And that is, uh, that's communicated or conveyed in the underlying portions of these all died in faith. In other words, they waited to the very last breath and they died still not having or receiving what God had promised. And the, the other part there is that they, they, they saw them and greeted them from afar that is, they, they, they were willing to wait in faith no matter what the cost and no matter how long. It's like, I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and even if I died and I don't receive a promise, I'm still going to believe in my last breath. And what's interesting this is, and I want you to think about this, they're still waiting. They're still waiting. Um, that's implied in verse 13 when it says, these all died in faith, implying that even in death they didn't get it. Right? Um, that is the great cloud of witnesses. You got, you got Abel and Enoch and Noah and all these guys in the Old Testament. They're still waiting. 
And if you drop down to verse 40 of chapter 11, you get the distinctive and clear sense that we pass over the finish line together, all of us. Every member of the eternal family crosses that line together. We all receive this inheritance together. We don't trickle in one by one, but all at once. It is, it's, it's, it's an event that takes place. Now, in one sense, you know, Moses is present with the Lord. Noah is present with the Lord. Abraham's present with the Lord. But they're in wait for the final conclusion. They're waiting with us. But that's what faith that's what faith does. And you know what? It, 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 it honors the Lord when your faith is patient. Yet that, that last line in, in verse 16 is interesting because I, rarely do you find in the biblical text where God is uh, connected to the word ashamed. It says, therefore, God is not ashamed to be their God, for he has prepared us, uh, for them a city to not be ashamed of something means he's honored. Like, can you imagine God the Father saying, I am honored to be called their God? That is a, that is a massive statement. I am honored to be their God. Why? Because they trusted me that much. They banked their whole life on my promise. By the way in which they lived, they said, we are trusting that your word is unwaveringly true and we will travel, we will journey, and we will die in that belief. And so God is able to say, for those who have this kind of patient, enduring, persevering faith, I am honored when my people's faith waits for me. That's pretty awesome, right? Now I think there's a, there's a if I may, an bit of an application here, uh, and maybe a bit of a, a reverse. But there are, there are certain strands of, of I'm not going to call it Bible teaching. There are certain brands of doctrine that would have you believe that God has guaranteed in this life prosperity, good health, um, and wealth, if you have the faith to believe that prosperity gospel. And one of the downsides of that, and I have, I have sat in my office and talked to people who have bought into this, who are deeply disappointed at God because they feel like God has let them down because the guarantee was not realized, leading to doubt. Is God good? Is he here? Is he answering me? And the fact of the matter is, God never guarantees. He never guarantees that you're going to be wealthy in this life, ever. He never guarantees that you're going to be healthy in this life, ever. Uh, he never guarantees that you're going to prosper physically or material in this life, Ever. Um, he does promise you the blessings of the Spirit, of peace and love and joy and a foretaste of the world to come. But he does not guarantee heaven in this world. And any, any teaching that would, that would convey that is going to let people at the end of the day down. Um, now, here's the thing. If God does give you wealth, 
that if he does give you prosperity, if he does heal you, then it's a gift. But if he chooses not to, then it's a gift also. Uh, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We trust that in all things he works together for the good of his people. So just keep in mind, people, um, and, and sometimes people don't even buy into health, wealth in terms of, of consciously. They just believe that they're entitled to a good life from the Lord, and they find themselves disappointed. Listen, we're, we're headed to a better country, and it's not this one. It's certainly not this one, as thankful as we may be to live in a free society. So that's, that's one of the ways we're supposed to walk by faith through this broken world, is just be patient. The Lord is going to answer. The Lord is going to bring about um, his promise. Two, I think walking by faith means maintaining a proper perspective in life. And that, too, is brought out in this passage. I, I mean... The underlying section again here is that this is Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, and possibly Sarah, is that they acknowledge, they, they recognize something. They, they, they had a, an understanding about life, a perspective, that they were strangers and exiles. Strangers and exiles. You know what a stranger is? Someone comes into your neighborhood, you're like, you definitely do not belong here. Or a car that doesn't belong in your neighborhood, that's a strange car. It does not belong here. Um, exiles. It's somebody who belongs to another land. It's somebody who's, who's, uh, whose homeland is somewhere else. That is, don't fit in. And they recognized, Abraham recognized, I, I, I don't fit in here. This is, I'm an exile. And there, there's a bit of an irony here. Because the truth of the matter is, all of humanity has been exiled from God. That, that happened after Eden. We got exiled from Eden. And we've been in exile ever since. And exile from God means you're in a state of death and decay. However, when God chooses to redeem, as he did Abraham, all of a sudden now, Abraham is, is recognizing now he's the exile, but not from God, but from, from earth. Now he's the stranger. When you belong to God, you become a stranger on earth. When you don't belong to God, well, then you fit right in. You fit right in. And, and, and the, the land in which Abraham walked, he, he lived as a camper. Right? I told you that last week. He was a nomad. He never had a plot of ground really to call his own. It was not his for his whole life. The, 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 the land that God said, this is yours someday, he lived on as a, as a, as a homeless person. Um, but he lived in a context of the land which was filled with Canaanites, which were, or who were a notoriously evil people. And yet, Abraham did not conform to the, their evil and their paganism. He was different. There was an ethical difference about him. There was a faith difference about him. How he treated people was different. And there's a, there's a, there's a freedom, I think, that comes from... When you and I as believers, like if you've been born again, I don't mean to sound Pentecostal, I just mean God has recreated your heart. Um, you're a new creature in Christ. He's placed the Spirit upon you. You have a newfound desire and hunger for the Lord, a hunger for His Word, a hunger for His gospel, and, and, a, and a love for His people, a sacrificial love for His people, and a growing hatred of sin. Like when those are the realities in you, well, you know what? 
Bottom line, you're not going to fit in. You're going to feel like a stranger, and you're going to feel like an outsider. And you know what? You should. And you shouldn't be ashamed of it. That's, that's the perspective you should have. It is a very freeing perspective. It, it, it allows you to not laugh at the dirty jokes at the office because, you know what, I don't, even if I think I'm, they think I'm strange because I don't laugh, I don't need to fit in. I mean, our belief in, in, in God, at least in our, our culture, is becoming increasingly irregular or to see all of life and all of its different disciplines and aspects from astronomy to science to history to anthropology through the lens of scripture and Christianity is, is going to make you, put you in a place where you're strange. To, to, conform your standards of life, business practices, ethics, sexual ethics to the new creation, or to, should I say to the scripture, is going to increasingly put you in a place where you are strange and perhaps not liked at all. Maybe mistreated and mislabeled as a bigot. All I have to tell you, you're strange here. You should be. You shouldn't feel like you can fit in. I mean, Paul told us, you know, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. And when we're conformed to the pattern of this world, really what we're trying to do is we're trying to make this world our adopted home. And, uh, and then we've lost, we've lost our way on our pilgrimage. So listen, if you're strange, but you're following Christ, if you feel out of place because you actually believe the Scripture, so be it. That's okay. This is not your home. You got it? It's not your home. This is not your place of permanent dwelling. Put your roots down a little bit, but don't put them down too deep because you know what? At some point, they're going to get ripped up. That's the second thing, maintaining a, a proper perspective. As I said, that perspective is recognize you shouldn't fit in. You're strange. You belong someplace else, eventually. And third... That walking by faith means keeping an expectant focus on home. The first one had to do more with patience. This one has more to do with expectancy and a continual focus. That is, you don't just think about it once a month, but you think about it, meditate upon it, converse about it, sing about it, pray about it, read about it, dream about it, write about it, do art about it write music about it. It says here that they had seen them and then greeted them from afar. That's they, they saw them with the eyes of faith. This is true because God said it's true. And greeted. There's a sense of affection. And then the next underlined phrase, they desire, desire. They're passionate for a better country. That is, it, was, it was something in their heart. It just wasn't something that they put in a doctrinal statement. It's like they wanted it. They desired it. They looked for it. They saw it from afar. That's, that's, that's really how, if, you know, if, in this, this journey that we're all on, different places, different experiences, different pains, different struggles, um, you have to keep your eyes on, on the goal, right? Like, 
where are we headed? And, and if at any point we stop looking there, then it, inevitably we'll have to live for something and we'll end up living for here. And that's when everything goes wrong. You know, the Apostle Peter put it this way, and it's pretty strong. He said in his letter to Christians, he said, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. You know, it's the setting your mind, getting ready, or I think cops or people in the military would say, stay frosty, right? Keep your eyes out. Stay vigilant. Stay watchful. Um, and then the command is, with doing this with your mind, set your hope fully. Don't set it partially or sometimes or part-time, but set it fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this is a pretty remarkable statement. Because um, David said earlier, we have grace lavished on us, right? Full grace lavished upon already because we're forgiven, we're saved, we're, we're reconciled to God. We have his promises, we have a new heart. But set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought. In other words, there's more to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Like that when he appears, he's talking about us when, when, when he peels back the sky like an onion. And everybody sees him for who he really is. And he does his work of renovation, recreation, and bringing all things to justice. Uh, set your hope fully on that. Now, if you've tasted God's grace now, and he talks about grace that's going to be brought to us. Well, let me just tell you, we, we, we have something big coming our way, right? Just, there's a celebration and a year of jubilation that, that your heart at this state in your fallen body can't even begin to understand. A joy that so far exceeds any joy in this life that if you could taste it right now, you'd probably commit suicide, Right? That's, that's, that's church, that's where we need to be. And when we gather together to worship, one of the things we're supposed to do is to be reminded and to remind each other and sing. It's like this is where we're going. And to stay frosty. Like keep our eyes looking at the right thing. You know? You know, there's, there's this uh, story, and, and I don't mean to be cheap or corny, but there's a story of a dog that is rather convicting to me. Um, the story of a, a, a dog, and it is an Akita by breed. Um, and a dog lived in Japan. And he would go out every day to the train station to meet his owner. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a dog lover, not so much a cat lover, but I'm a dog lover. And I just can picture the dog making his way to the train station and just waiting there with his tail wiggling, you know, for the train to open up and, and out comes the owner. He did this day after day after day. And this is a true story. Look it up. It'd actually make you cry. <laughs> uh, day after day, this dog would go until one time his owner didn't come back. He didn't get off the train. Um, because what the dog didn't know, because the dog's not human, is that his owner, um, I think he's a professor in a local university, had a brain aneurysm and died. So train came, owner didn't step out, dog was waiting. You know, next day that dog came back and it waited, just wiggling tail. And that dog came back the next day and it came back week after week, month after month for almost 10 years. 
10 years, that dog watched and waited. And they actually, that, that, that dog became such a symbol. I tell you its name, but I can't pronounce it because I don't know Japanese. Um, but that dog was such an inspiration and symbol of loyal hope that there's a, there's a statue of him that's been erected um, in that train station. Now, here's, here, here's the thing. Church, if a dog can do that, The dog can show up each day waiting and looking. We should be able to as human beings, especially ones who have new hearts, be willing to each day wait for the return of our owner who has written his name on our foreheads because we're his. So that's... Those are lessons of faith, brothers and sisters, to help all of us on this journey um, to, the, um, to the better country. And, and I encourage you, just again, take these things and think about and practice, like exercise patient faith in the Lord, um, in his promises. Um, keep reminding yourself of the proper perspective. Listen, I'm a stranger here. This, I, I'm supposed to not fit in. But then um, keep yourself in the habit of, of each day watching and waiting. And don't let the passage of time deplete that. Yes, a couple thousand years have went by. Man, if a dog can do it for 10 years, don't you think we should be able to, as people called by God, saved by God, be able to wake up each day and look and wait and want to see him. I, th- I, th- I think so. And, uh, you know, um, meanwhile, as we're making our way through, I just want to tell you, as you see evil increase around you and the love of many grow cold, which Jesus said would happen, uh, don't fret. But remember, this is not your home. And when you find yourself tempted by the people who have achieved more, look better than you, they fit into a size 2 or a size 4, or they don't have wrinkles forming on their face, or they don't have to worry about retirement, don't envy. Don't envy or covet. Remember, this is not your home. And when you find yourself sick, when you find yourself grieving loss, And death draws near. Don't be afraid. But remember, this is not your home yet. But it will be someday. And when that happens, church, there is going to be what they call the marriage supper of the Lamb. Where we will break bread with our King and Savior and we will drink from his cup. And he will cause all the old things to pass away and make all things new. And on that day, on that day, we will know that we are our home. And this, this table that we're about to take is, is, is not just a way of looking back. And don't tune me out because I'm moving to the table and transitioning here. <laughs> all right? This, this, this was meant to be a memorial to remind us of the cornerstone of our 
salvation and the reason we can actually believe in a better country coming. The body and the blood of Christ offered for us. But, but it's also a memorial future. Uh, Jesus said this on the night he was betrayed when he was at his last supper. He said, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day. Just restate that. Until that day. Until that day. When I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom or in the better country or the city God has prepared for you or your homeland, that is when you are our home. So as we partake and celebrate this morning, I, I, remember, let's, 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 let's remember forward. You can remember backward, but remember forward. This is also a symbol of, of the great reunion that we're going to have. And it's a, it should be a time of reflection and confession and repentance. If, you found your, if you've, upon reflection, you find that you have just become too uh, consumed and suffocated by the cares of this life and world, because you've tried to make this your home. This is a time of repentance and a time to say, Lord, renew my faith and affection uh, and help me to keep on this journey, this pilgrimage to my true home. Most of you are our normal family here at Parkway, so you know how we do this. But for the few who don't, um, I'm going to pray. And as I do, if I could have the communion servers come up and join me. Um, If you're a follower of Christ... Um, feel free to join us, even if this is not your home church. Um, we have gluten, gluten-free um, bread for those um, who would like the option. And, um, and come as the music plays. I think that's all I need to say. So let's make this a time of, of remembrance. Father, thank you for, well, thank you for your word. Thank you for this table. Thank you for what it represents. Um, Stir in us in affection for our homeland, better country, the day in which you arrive. Work in our hearts now as we celebrate this together in Christ's name.